This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast edition of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book 3. Purgatory. Chapter 4. The shaggy man raised his hand, resting the tip of the pen gently on the air in front of his nose. Slowly he moved his wrist, describing a tiny circle, no more than a single dot, suspended in front of him. He adjusted his grip, adding a larger circle around the smaller one. As he worked, he hummed quietly while the children watched from their seats at the table. Shifting outward once again, he swept his hand in ever-increasing circles, moving round and round in a tight spiral, expanding outward until, finally, there was something dark about the size and shape of a dinner plate floating in the air in front of his face. The warm, buttery smell of the fish was making G hungry. The cats gathered on the floor around her shared her impatience. The shaggy man finished the final loop of his spiral and stood back to inspect his work. He carefully capped the pen and placed it in the brusque pocket of his coat. Deftly, he caught the disc one-handed as it fell. Turning it over in his hands, he inspected it before handing it to Assam. Would you, he asked, be so kind as to start the music? What do you mean? The shaggy man looked at the boy with an amused smile on his face. He nodded to an old contraption sitting on top of a small table nearby. It was a large box made of polished wood with brass fittings and a crank sticking out of one side. A large brass trumpet in the shape of a flower bloomed out of the top of it. Assam turned the disc over in his hands. I'm sorry? Oh, honestly, the shaggy man said, taking the disc from him. This is a record. This is what people used to put music on before those awful silvery discs with that horrid plastic music you all listen to now. And this, he ran his hand lovingly over the polished box, this is what we listen to music on, real warm music that doesn't come out of a computer or a plastic box. You mean CDs? she asked. Whatever those awful machine things are called, they have neither life nor breath in them. They're plastic. They're the opposite of music, and they're not allowed in the elephant house. But that's plastic, she pointed out. This? The shaggy man held the record up. This is not plastic. This is real. Real music, real sound, real voices captured and preserved like flies in amber, waiting to be awakened. I saw a movie about that, she agreed. There were these scientists, and they made dinosaurs, and... As I was saying, the shaggy man went on, this is music. This is how it sounds. He laid the record gently on top of the wooden box. 
He turned a crank and set a small brass arm in place, and the record spun to life. From out of the brass flower came a hissing scratch, and then, at last, music. What is that? she asked. That, the shaggy man said as he sank into his chair with a contented sigh, is the greatest guitar player that ever lived. G was unimpressed. The things her father downloaded sounded cleaner, less scratching, and it wasn't banjo music either. Assam, however, was amazed. He closed his eyes, letting the music drift through his mind. He could feel every note, the vibration of every string ran through him. He could see the man's fingertips plucking them, strumming his mustache, twitching in time. He could see those fingers tapping out a song on a pale, curved shape that no guitar he'd ever seen before looked like. He could feel the fire burning in them setting them twitching across the strings, could see the face of a child staring up at him in quiet wonder, could do nothing but watch as a cloud covered his quiet, patient eyes like smoke. The music smeared the whole man's life through his mind like a child's finger painting. And then, with a flourish, the song was over. A psalm opened his eyes, the shaggy man was watching him. How does that strike you? He asked. The boy nodded. I thought it would. Now, the man said as the next song began. Shall we eat? The cats murmured their agreement. The fish was excellent, flaking apart under their forks like pastry. G finished hers in a manner of bites. Then she started in on the rice, shoveling a huge forkful into her mouth. She chewed and stopped, practically choking on it. It tasted fine, but it was dry as dust, scratching her throat when she tried to swallow it. She considered spitting it out, but didn't want to offend their host. May I have a glass of water, please? She just managed to choke the words out. The shaggy man patted his lips with a napkin and shook his head, swallowing. I'm afraid not, my dear. All we have is river water here, and, well, I expect you won't. You know all about that by now. She nodded. Is there any milk? Oh, certainly, the shaggy man chuckled. I'll just pop out to the barn and get a squirt or two out of old Bessie. Jean narrowed her eyes. She had been a guest of the Queen not too long ago and had an open invitation to return. It had gone to her head a bit, but even so, she'd never been overly fond of being mocked. So there isn't any milk and there isn't any water? There's wine, the shaggy man offered. She looked to her brother. Assam blithely scooped up a bit of rice and washed it down with a sip from his goblet. She glared at him. 
If he had been peeking at her thoughts, he would have shifted his chair back a few feet to get out of the way. I'm too young to drink alcohol, she said as witheringly as possible. So, no thank you. Mm, suit yourself, my dear. The shaggy man shrugged, his shoulders rolling like a galloping bear's backside. May I have another piece of fish, please? She asked in her sweetest voice. Yes, you certainly may. The shaggy man set down his knife and fork and rose, taking her plate into the kitchen. You jackass, she whispered to her brother after the man had passed through the archway and out of sight. Nice language, he said, but the rice is pretty bad. You know why? You made it? He shook his head. No, he did. He made it. He drew it. He did not. Assam raised his hand. Swear to God, I watched him do it. He drew it, piece by piece. She picked up one of the grains, crushing it between her thumb and forefinger. There was a dark smear on her fingertip, like the smudge of a pencil. You're lying, she said. Lying? the shaggy man said sternly from the archway, is absolutely forbidden in the elephant house. He set the plate down in front of G and took his seat. I will permit storytelling, and I've been known to tolerate the occasional fib and certain well-intentioned factual distortions, but no lies, never, no how. He took a sip of his wine. So... Which one of you was lying, then? He was, she said. Ah, the shaggy man swiveled his gaze to Assam. Is this a common tendency for you, boy? No, Assam answered, offended. Why not? Because, because lying is wrong. Is it? The shaggy man scratched his beard thoughtfully with the tines of his fork. I lie all the time. I make things that aren't true, true. He leaned in close suddenly. Assam could smell the wine on his breath. Don't go poking round in my head, little brother. You won't like what you find. Assam's fork clattered against his plate. I'm sorry, he said sitting back wide-eyed in his chair. The man patted his hand. Not to worry, no harm done. I didn't know, the boy began, but the man cut him off. Now you do, he said gently. In all honesty, though, I'm surprised. You seem smart enough to figure it out on your own, and it's pretty obvious if you stop to think about it. Assam nodded. He looked pale, shaky. What's wrong? G asked with her mouth full. The man put his hand against the boy's forehead, ignoring her. Let it go, boy. Just let it fall away. Um, 
I'm trying, the psalm said. That's 90% of your problem, the shaggy man said gently. Trying too hard. It's a gentle gift you have. What, G asked, is going on? The other two looked at her. Oh, nothing, the shaggy man said lightly. Your brother is just apologizing for eavesdropping on the private miseries of an old ghost. She blinked. You're a ghost? The shaggy man leveled his gaze at her. No need to be formal. Call me Eddie. You're dead? She stared at him and then at the half-eaten food on her plate. You're dead and you cooked my dinner? Well, the man said mildly, it's not like it's contagious. The shaggy man sat back in his chair, a sad smile on his face. Yes, I am dead. It's official. Now, finish your dinner. You asked for more and I expect you to eat it. Assam leaned forward and rested his head on the table. What did you do to him? G asked the man. Nothing much. I made him dinner. He just bit off more than he could chew. He patted the boy's shoulder. I'm fine, Assam said. I'm perfectly fine. Well then, the shaggy man said after a long moment, you rest there while... Well, he included G in his gesture. We'll take care of the dishes. Between the two of them, G and the shaggy man managed to clear most of the plates in one trip. In the kitchen, he put G to work scraping the plates clean and delivering them to the sink where he was already up to his elbows. The sleeves of his coat were rolled up, but fluffy suds clung to the damp cuffs. He glanced over to her and gasped. You're not throwing out the bones, are you? Poised, half frozen in the act of tipping a plate over the trash bin, G nodded. He shook his head. You need to save them, dolly girl. We need those bones if I'm going to have my supper tomorrow. But G looked down at the empty plate in her hands and then to the clump of rice and scraps of fish and little crescents of bones all jumbled together in the bin. But they're already in there. Pick them out. Pick them out. He shook his head and went back to the dishes in the sink. I don't want any limpy, gimpy fish in my river nor on my table. He stood for a moment, waiting to see if he was serious even though she knew perfectly well that he was. She put the dish on the counter and bent over the bin, her throat constricting in disgust. In the other room, Assam was feeling somewhat better. He kept his head down on the table just in case, but at least he didn't feel like screaming anymore. He couldn't quite forget the cold depth he'd stepped into when he'd tried to peek inside the shaggy man's mind. But he could at least let go of it for now. He didn't know what was happening to him, but he wanted it to either get worse 
or get better. Either way, he didn't care which. It came and went like waves on the shore, the sound and color and voices slamming against the fragile coast of his mind. Sometimes it was so strong he could barely stand it, his teeth practically rattling in his mouth. Other times there was hardly anything at all, and he had to strain to hear even the most distant whisper of the tides. Neither state bothered him so much as the sudden shift between the two, unexpected and jarring every time. This time it was his own fault. He'd been politely minding his own business at dinner when it occurred to him that he might take a peek inside the shaggy man's head just to make sure he could be trusted. He nearly screamed with the shock of it. He felt as if he were covered in spider webs. He tasted smoke on his tongue, grit beneath his teeth, a clot of dry hair at the back of his throat. He rolled in sawdust, splinters of rotting wood clinging to him. He felt scrubbed, scratched out of thin air by a rusty pen tip. He was two-dimensional. He was black and white. He was dead. Assam slowly backed out of the shaggy man's mind, suddenly understanding whose hospitality they relied upon. He could hear something whispering to him in an old voice, dry as dust. Once he was clear of that terrible voice, the cats came screaming through his mind. There were no words, they were cats after all, but he stared around the room and, meeting their eyes, he realized that they knew he could hear them. Each animal was a crowd, a riot, an argument of voices, a choir, screaming. That was when he put his head down on the table. Things had quieted down somewhat since then. Assam thought he might try opening his eyes, just to see if he could keep his head from exploding. So far so good, he thought. Let's try sitting up. He carefully pulled his head off of the table and, uneasily, straightened up in his chair. The top of his head did not cave in. Assam considered this a good sign. On the table in front of him, the candles cast flickering, scratchy shadows around the room. Next to his chair, one of the cats was playing with a little scrap of what looked like black thread. As he watched, the cat danced backwards and then pounced. Putting its head down between its front paws, the cat snapped and pulled at the string with its teeth. It tugged at the thread, its head and shoulders low to the ground, pulling backwards. After a long moment, there was a snap and a bump, and then Assam found himself suddenly, inexplicably, landing on the floor with a painful bump. He sat there, stunned. His first thought was that the cat had somehow managed to tip over his chair, but there was no chair to be seen. It had vanished out from under him. The cat rolled in a tangle of dark string nearby. Curious, Assam reached out and rolled the string in between his thumb and forefinger. It was dry, almost brittle. He easily snapped off a length of it. 
It was lighter than he expected, more like hair than string. Squeezed between his fingers, it went to pieces almost immediately, crumbling away into a dry, powdery smudge on his fingertips. He held his fingers to his nose and sniffed. A faint whiff of something acrid and sharp, a chemical smell that was familiar and strange at the same time. His mind skipped between thoughts like the record on the player. He saw the shaggy man holding the tip of his pen to the air, the hand describing circle upon circle like the crazy spiral they were stuck in in this place. His thoughts skipped in his mind again, like the scratchy music the man had drawn out of the air. He sniffed his fingers again. Ink. The cat, bored with the tangled mess on the floor that had once been Assam's chair, patted over and curled up in the boy's lap with a sigh. Assam reached down to stroke its back. The cat raised its head and complained, but it did not get up and move away. Assam continued to pet the cat, thinking. You have been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and performed by T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at www.tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. These rights are asserted in direct opposition to all Creative Commons licensing standards and practices. Even listening to this damn thing is probably illegal. In fact, you should stop right now, just in case the feds are closing in on you. I'd wipe your hard drive, too, just to be safe. You don't want them to find all those Lipstick Jungle episodes you downloaded from BitTorrent, do you? Wait, did you hear that? Just outside the window? I think it's one of their robotic hounds. The new models have night vision now, you know. And they see everything. Oh my god. I think... I think they might already be in the house.